You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hooky Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg, right down here in the New River Valley. I am joined today by the usual suspects. First things first, all the way from the 757, we have the one, the only, the Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, what's good, Doug? Not much, man. I'm looking forward to, hopefully, fingers crossed, we get some tech football this weekend. Um, but we'll uh, just have to keep waiting it out, man. And in the northern part of the state, looks like he's sipping a beer. No surprise there. We have Mike McDaniel. Mike, what's good, man? I mean, one of us has to do it. If I wasn't in my place of work, I would be. If there would be any, any one of the three of us, it would be Mike, given the constant untapped notifications that I get on Twitter. I mean, you, you got to be like a level a million, dude. <laughs> Yeah, I start. I actually started it uh, when I was traveling for my old job. I was traveling so much. I was like, I'm trying all these different beers. I gotta like do something to like log them and like try to find a way to make sure if I try a good beer, I remember it so I can like purchase it. Whether it be like Total Wine or you know Wegmans or you know wherever you can find all these you know crazy craft beers. And I found the Untapped app, and it's been in my hip pocket ever since. It's been great. It is a cornerstone of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> Not a bad thing to have. Not a bad thing to have. All right, gentlemen, I want to start off quickly. You know, we're going to preview NC State, all of that in just a few minutes. But first, Virginia Tech released their unofficial depth chart earlier this week. We've all been around the program long enough to know that these depth charts don't necessarily mean everything might not even mean anything but it's kind of a good place to start and, and there were a couple position groups or individual positions that really stuck out to me and, and first I wanted to talk about the offensive line we all know that Vance Vice is going to do what Vance Vice is going to do he's going to mix it up he's going to put guys wherever he thinks they are best fit for the overall unit that is the offensive line and as it stands he has Darisaw at left tackle Lysitis Smith at left guard Brock Hoffman at center Brian Hudson at right guard and Luke Tenuta at right tackle. A very strong group, but one thing that sticks out to me is that the second highest recruit in the Justin Fuente era, Doug Nestor, the four-star Ohio State decommit, is not listed as a starter. Ricky, is this a cause for concern? Or is this just spoils of the riches because of how deep this unit is? How do you interpret this? Not really sure. Um, obviously, Nestor was supposed to be Basically, the next Will Montgomery, for those Tech fans who are not complete noobs. Um, and that obviously hasn't really panned out to this point. Um, I think part of it just could be the development of um, Lasita Smith and Brian Hudson, and obviously Luke Tenuta, too. Uh, Tenuta really has a good frame over there at, at tackle at 6'7". He's just kind of like the, the, the quintessential size for that. And obviously getting Brock Hoffman available helps to solidify that center position. But I don't know, man. Tenuta has been able to kind of solidify right tackle. We probably will see Nestor slide in there a bit. He's listed as the two at right tackle. Um, so I, it really wouldn't shock me if Nestor finds his way in there. And then there's a chance that – he is able to break into the lineup later in the season. We just have to kind of wait and see. But uh, Tenuta has a year on him in terms of in the program, and that may be playing a role as well. Yeah, and Doug Nestor, by all accounts, is a very talented player. And he's still very young, just a true sophomore. 
So I kind of view it as if this is the guy that's your rotational lineman, you know, it speaks volumes about the depth of that position. But I kind of want to segue now to a position where depth is a little bit more of an issue, and that's Rover. You look at what happened after the Devin Hunter suspension, and Virginia Tech has kind of been put in a precarious spot. Kianta Jenkins, a three-star true freshman from Jacksonville, listed as the starter at that position. Mike, I kind of look at it like this. You think back to 2018, when inexperience in the secondary and all over the defense led to mistakes that ultimately ended up being the Achilles heel of the Hokies that season and kind of led them to have what we all remember as a very mediocre, especially by Virginia Tech standards, bad season. Does having a true freshman who is backed up by another true freshman, Lakeem Rudolph, does that concern you in a major way? I mean, I think anytime you're starting a true freshman in an opener, um, it gives you a little bit of concern. Yeah. I, I mean, I think um, Keontae Jenkins, uh, you know, he's like you mentioned, like he's a three-star guy from the 2020 class. I think the thing that stands out for me about Keontae Jenkins is the way that the coaches have raved about him. Right. Um, they've talked about him a good bit. He's received a good bit of buzz in preseason camp um, by all indications and in summer workouts. You know, he was a guy that stood out to the coaches from the moment he stepped on campus. And, you know, even as a, as a three-star, um, you know, I, I think on paper it gives you a little bit of concern just because you were expecting to have Devin Hunter be there. But Devin Hunter was also largely an unknown at Rover, too. Like, sure, he was in the program for a while, and he was a former, you know, he was a fringe five-star recruit and a guy who, you know, was highly touted coming out of high school. But he really hadn't done much in the program to this point. So I think Virginia Tech, you know, when you take a step back and kind of look at it from that perspective, like this was one of those positions at Rover um, that was going to be one of the more inexperienced positions on the roster as far as like game snaps were concerned. Uh, now, Keontae Jenkins not being around the program for a few years um, and, and kind of being brand new into the program, I think that's that's kind of a big deal. Uh, but I wouldn't be too concerned about it only because I think if Keontae Jenkins struggles, right, um, I think that while Lakeem Rudolph is listed as the second rover there, I think we could see redshirt freshman J.R. Walker slide in. I think we could see Tyree Rogers potentially slide in. Like, there are guys on the roster that um, you can move into that position. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think the back end of the secondary is a little bit of a concern trying to replace Reggie Floyd, who was so consistent, especially against the run for a number of years. Like, that's going to be a little bit of a concern. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm overall just really excited to see what Keontae Jenkins can do just because the coaching staff's been high on him. He's going to have an opportunity right from the jump. Yeah, and I think that the ability for the coaching staff, especially on the defensive side of the ball, to be able to mix and match and, and put guys in places where – you know, might not be the preferred spot for them. They might be the, the backup as a nickel or something in J.R. Walker, but especially given the inexperience of the true freshman and the potential COVID holdouts, which we'll get to in a little bit, I think versatility is going to be an extremely important aspect of the Virginia Tech defense. Moving back to the offense, though, the wide receiver group, I wouldn't say a lot of surprises, but you got Tavion Robinson, Trey Turner, and Caleb Smith listed as your three starters. Caleb Smith last year, he opened pretty hot, four receptions for 62 yards and a touchdown against Boston College. He wouldn't end up matching that game total for the rest of the season. Appeared in three more games, two of which were ODU and Furman. After one five-yard reception in the UNC game, we didn't see him catch a pass for the rest of the year. Now, Virginia Tech has brought in Changa Hodge and Evan Fares as transfers going into this year. Ricky, are you surprised at all that they went with Smith rather than the more experienced grad transfers who might just have a little less time in the program? Moderately. Um, Hodge and Fares have more of a track record of being productive, but they do not have the system knowledge and they haven't really had time to master that. And it could be a situation where those guys are more playing time as we go, but there is no chance that Tech doesn't rotate these guys in and out on a consistent basis. The only guy, I guess the only two guys that are going to see the field at receiver for maybe a majority of the snaps are Turner and Robinson. Everyone else is up for grabs, and it, it would not shock me if there are constant rotations at receiver. Um, and you know, we have to remember, too, that Raheem Blackshear is probably not going to play most of his snaps at running back. 
he's listed there, but there's no way that that's where he spends most of his time. So it, it, we could see situations where Tavion Robinson is split out wide and then uh, Blackshear is put in the slot. Tech maybe goes four receiver sets. Who knows? Um, and we also have to consider James Mitchell, who is listed as a tight end, but we know damn well Tech will play two tight end sets. Tech will split him out wide. They'll bring him in line. They'll put him in the backfield. They'll do whatever. This is an extremely multiple offense, and there are a lot of different personnel packages, even if it's the same formation, and they can run different personnel sets out of that because of the kind of offense and the kind of guys that they've recruited. Um, so the receiver positions is going to kind of be a bit of a hodgepodge for the first couple of weeks, I think, until they figure out exactly what they've got. Mike, now looking at the running backs, not a huge surprise here that Khalil Herbert, the transfer from Kansas, graduate transfer, is listed as the number one guy in the backfield. Raheem Blackshear, Jalen Holston, and Kishon King all listed as backups. How do you think that the carries are going to be distributed? In, in what way? And would you say that this is the deepest running back room Fuente has had during his time here at Virginia Tech? I think it is the deepest running back room that Puente's had at Virginia Tech. The one thing I'll say is there is potential for the first time in a long time, really the first time in the, in the Justin Puente era, um, that we might have a feature back, right? Like Khalil Herbert has an opportunity to seize that. Um, he's got all the talent in the world. Ricky mentioned uh, Raheem Blackshear probably isn't going to play a majority of his snaps at running back. He's probably going to be playing a lot of his snaps in the slot. Um, doesn't mean he won't line up at running back, but I'd be surprised um, if most he's of his be snaps. He's everywhere. He's just not going to be limited to running back. Right, right. I mean, I think it's pretty likely that when Khalil Herbert's off the field, you know, your running back who comes into the game is Raheem Blackshear. I could also envision Virginia Tech, especially in goal line type packages, going with Jalen Holston around the goal line. I think that's pretty realistic. I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see a ton of Keyshawn King. Um, and the reason why is because he's only 175 pounds. Um, Virginia Tech's coaching staff was hoping they'd put on some weight in the offseason. Um, he didn't. There were some rumors that he could potentially opt out. He hasn't he to date. Um, not only did he not gain weight, he lost weight. Yeah. So and and he's small to begin with. Um, he's listed at a very generous 5'11". Um, he's, not, he's not a huge guy. He's He's dynamic. I mean, he was very good for Virginia Tech last year. I think he's got a bright future in the program. What I think that he needs to do is obviously put on a little bit of weight. I think what's working to Virginia Tech's advantage this year is that eligibility has just been totally thrown out the window because of COVID. Um, you know, these players aren't going to be accruing a year of eligibility. So King doesn't necessarily need to opt out. Um, he doesn't sound like he, he's opted out, even though that was a rumor that's been going around. Um, and I think if Virginia Tech does have some COVID issues, which they've had, right, and they need to play Keyshawn King in more of a featured back role, he'll be there. It won't be ideal for Virginia Tech, but I think the option is there, um, especially now that you don't really need to redshirt anybody because from an eligibility standpoint, it's not going to matter this year. So I, I don't, I'd be surprised if Keyshawn King got a lot of carries, um, only because I think the coaching staff wants to make sure he's fit enough to play. Um, but he's going to be kind of the odd man out, in my opinion, as far as running back rotation goes. I think we're going to see a lot of Herbert, a lot of Blackshear, and I think maybe some Holston around the goal line. I think that'll be about it. The encouraging thing is that Keyshawn King is your fourth back. I mean, he's he's not a guy that you want to rely on heavily, but he's certainly a guy that you don't mind playing small stretches of games when necessary. And I definitely think he's better than a fourth running back on any on most rosters. Um, totally agree. They definitely have some depth there. I think the 2016 room with Trayvon McMillan and Deshaun McLeese was pretty good, even though those guys weren't uber productive. But this room is definitely deep, and they have a lot of bodies that you can reasonably rely on. And depth is very important in that situation, kind of in the same way that – having Quincy Patterson as your third string quarterback isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And having Doug Nestor as your rotational tackle, not the worst thing in the world. Let's dive into it. It's week one, or at least we hope so. Virginia tech has had their issues with COVID-19 here. We sit, it is September 23rd. And for the first time in any of our lifetimes, Virginia tech hasn't played a football game yet. That looks 
to change on Saturday. But as Justin Fuente said in his press conference earlier in the week, we live in a test-by-test, day-by-day world. And they know that they're not going to have a full roster. The question is, do they have a full enough roster to play? And if they do, who's going to be able to suit up? As we stand today, gentlemen, on a scale of 1 to 10 confidence interval, how confident are you that we get hockey football on Saturday? Well, I mean, I'm, it's Wednesday night. We haven't heard otherwise yet. So I thought if we'd hear of a cancellation, it would have been today. Um, I know that they were expecting some testing results back today. I don't know if they've gotten those yet. Um, I also haven't been on social media most of the afternoon, so maybe they have gotten those and I'm just late That's to the party. Fun. But regardless, yeah. So, uh, you know, as far as I know, the game's still on. Um, I don't know who's going to play. <laughs> um, I, I would put it at like 70-30 that the game happens at this point. Now that's Wednesday night, we still haven't heard about a cancellation. Um, but I don't know who's going to suit up. And that's going to determine a lot, right? Like for those of you interested in betting on this game, which I know some of you listening are, um, don't touch it until Saturday morning because I <laughs> don't know who's playing. So that's going to be a really interesting part of this, right? Like Virginia Tech on paper is the better team. But then if you start taking Steve guys out, I think it gets a lot closer, especially with how NC State looked, especially offensively last weekend. Yeah. Um, I'm somewhere between a six to a seven, I guess, on a 10-point scale. Um, I, I took some flack for saying that this was concerning, that Justin Fuente wasn't pretty sure that they were going to be able to field a team um, in – not really sure why I got any flack for that. I mean, most of the college football teams that are playing right now have been able to play a game at this point. Um, tech hasn't. And part of that, and a large chunk of it really, is on them. I'm not going to point or put the blame at any one particular person's feet because we don't know exactly who's positive and this, that, and the other, but at a certain point, your program needs to get its, get its stuff together. And uh, I, I was, I, I was totally fine with tech having to delay the, the week one game uh, versus, or excuse me, the, the Virginia game, because we all knew that this was a chance that it could happen. But the fact that we are now reaching this point in the season and tech is still not sure that they're going to be able to put a team on the field. It's definitely concerning. Um, and I'm not really sure why that's all that controversial, but uh, yeah, I'm going to go with a six to a seven. Like Mike said, it's Wednesday night. We haven't heard anything yet. You'd like to think that if this was going to get uh, thrown out, we would have known by now, but like Fuente said as well, it's a day by day situation. Yeah, well, Ricky, I don't understand why you would get any pushback there because obviously it is concerning. I don't either. And it is not a great look for the program, but I, I would venture to say I wouldn't call it anyone's fault in particular. I mean, you've looked across the college football landscape, you know, as the teams that at least released this information publicly been and keep in mind at least half of these power five schools don't tell you anything at all but the correlation between when the spike happens on campus in the college town and how that trickles into the football locker room is right there and at the end of the day it is football and if you're taking contact tracing as seriously as acc the ncaa and the institution itself have forced upon the team if that bubble gets burst in any way, shape, or form, you have the potential to put yourself in the situation that you are right now. Now, does that mean I'm advocating for the Clemson LSU? Oh, I think all of our guys might just happen to have gotten it in July when we totally didn't not tell them to hang out with each other and do stuff like that. I mean, I'm not saying that's the best possible case scenario, but for some schools, you have that. I mean, Ohio State, North Carolina, it goes on and on and on. Notre Dame's having a problem again. USF just had to uh, postpone their their next game. It's hard to play the blame game, at least to individual programs in a world where because of how seriously they're taking it and because of how many people are on the team and how little it takes to breach that bubble, it's hard to point fingers and say this is Tech's fault any more than it it was North Carolina's fault a few weeks ago, and I got caught up in that. I mean, I was just trying to get followers riled up when NC State canceled originally, and then I got put on old takes exposed for COVID shaming. But I, you look in the responses, I was obviously joking. 
But gentlemen, let's just say they do field a team. And I, I, I feel sort of comfortable saying this. The people I talk to, the message boards, just online rumors have made it abundantly clear that if this team does play, it's not going to be the full squad. And that there are important guys who will either not be able to make the trip or will not get out of quarantine with enough time to practice and then go and actually play a football game, say, one or two days later. One name that's been thrown out there, the starting quarterback. And do I know if this is true? No, I don't. But what I do think is that the fact that Braxton Burmeister was the one thrown out there for the press conference earlier this week might be a uh, little read between the lines situation. So, gentlemen, Fuente has obviously talked about Burmeister in a very positive light all throughout training camp and really since he arrived at Virginia Tech uh, a, a year ago. How confident are you in this kid's ability to go out and maybe with a, you know, a, a shortened crew – Go out there and pick up a win in week one. Well, um, I guess we're just going to have to find out how good Braxton Burmeister is if that ends up being the case, right? Like, Justin Fuente talked about Burmeister being someone who is going to split reps or at least see action. Um, you know, they listed Hendon Hooker as a starter, but said Braxton Burmeister would play. If Hendon Hooker ends up, you know, if those rumors end up being true and Hendon Hooker is not able to suit up on Saturday against NC State and Burmeister plays well, then we're going to have – ooh, we're going to have a little bit of controversy on our hands, boys. Um, and that'll be interesting because, uh, you know, Burmeister's a guy who's obviously received a lot of praise from the coaching staff. He's, you know, a guy who surprisingly seems like he's going to be playing a lot more than a lot of us expected given how well Hendon Hooker played last year. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, we're going to find out some information and we're going to have some data points here early um, on Braxton Burmeister, no matter what. I mean, whether or not Hendon Hooker plays is kind of a moot point. Like Burmeister is going to see action against NC State. So whether it's for the entirety of the game or just part of the game with Hendon Hooker playing kind of remains to be seen. But, you know, we'll have answers sooner rather than later. I think a lot of it depends on who's available. And I, I think the same – really goes for Hendon Hooker. Um, Tech's offense does not ask their quarterbacks to do a lot. They ask them to be smart with the football. They ask them to make a couple reads. They ask them to be accurate. They don't ask them to um, stand in the pocket for long periods of time. They run a lot of play action, a lot of things like that. Um, and the offense, when that happens, relies a lot on the on your playmakers. And your offensive weapons. And if they're missing one or two of those guys, it can really throw a wrench into things. If for some reason, and again, I don't have any inside info on this, but if, if for some reason someone like James Mitchell is not able to play, that changes the entire complexion of the, of the game. The same thing goes with a Trey Turner or a Raheem Blackshear or something, some guy like that. I mean, there are multiple guys on this offense where if you remove them, it immediately throws a wrench into the whole in the whole machine, um, and I think both Hendon and Braxton would suffer considerably if they're missing any one of these weapons. And we can even take this to the offensive line. I know we just got done talking about Tech's depth there, but there is still going to be a drop off from guys like Darisaw or Brock Hoffman. Yeah, no, and I agree. I think the good news is if it's Burmeister rather than Hooker or or whatever you may have it. It's not like they don't have similar skill sets, right? They're, they're both kind of built for this offense, which I think is a good thing. I mean, it, it's not like the backup quarterback's Ryan Finley and you'd have to completely change the way that the offense is run on, on a whim. But, Ricky, I'll ask you this. Just from your perspective here, because I know you've been very pro-hooker, let's just say Hendon Hooker got out of – and we, again, this is all theoretical. I don't know anything for facts, but I'm just repeating rumors that I've heard and what people have told me, which people I, I do trust. Let's just say that Hooker got out of quarantine today and he had three days of practice. You roll him with the starter that went with the team all of last year or for the latter half of last year, or are you going with the guy that might've gotten more practice reps? Well, for starters, I don't know who in the hell told you I was pro Hooker. That, 
that seems pretty personal there, Andrew. <laughs> but no, um, <laughs> I, I'd be I'd be totally fine with Hendon uh, taking it and running with it. He has enough experience in the system from last year, from his previous years in the program. I would have no reservations with Hooker being out there on the field. Braxton Burmeister would be a different story. Braxton was running scout team last year. Braxton does not have the rapport with these guys that Hendon Hooker does. Uh, so, I, yes, I, I would be totally fine with Hendon going out there with limited practice. All right, gentlemen, we'll talk about more kind of COVID-related things, but let's let's introduce ourselves to NC State. NC State, a team that Virginia Tech does not usually play based on the ACC scheduling of rotational Atlantic Division opponents. The last meeting, October 9th, 2015, Isaiah Ford caught three touchdowns from Brandon Motley, who out threw Jacoby Brissett on the way to a 28-13 Virginia Tech victory. Now you look at NC State, and for the previous seven years, they've been under Dave Dorn. And it's been a, a, a mixed bag for an NC State program that on the football field has not really been a powerhouse in the ACC prior to Dorn's arrival. Seven nine-win seasons in the past 80 years, the fact that Dorn led them to back-to-back nine-win seasons in 2017 and 2018 means he's kind of bringing up the potential of this program. That being said, looking at last year's NC State squad, a very similar situation, in my opinion, to what we saw with Virginia Tech in 2018. You had a team from the year before that lost pretty much everyone. You lose Ryan Finley, a couple of a thousand yard rusher and a thousand yard receiver an all ACC tackle and and two all American guards and centers. That was a professional offensive line. So you go in with the inexperienced guys and what you see is the drop off. Now, Dorn has been able to recruit pretty well. Top 30 classes in both 2018 and 2019, but those guys still very, very young. Mike, you've watched some NC State from last year and you kind of follow the ACC as a whole. Talk about what you got from this team last year and how you think they project going forward. So that's the first time I've heard the comparison to 2018 Virginia Tech. I think that's a great comp, right? Like, that's the first time I've heard it put in those terms. I think that's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's correct, right? Like, NC State lost a ton of talent. Um, you know, you talk about Ryan Finley, Naheem Hines, Kofi Myers, like a lot of really productive players there um, that moved on to the NFL. And that's before you even consider everybody who they lost on the offensive line. Um, you know, when a lot of people think of NC State, they think about, you know, the players that have made an impact on the defensive side of the football, especially in recent years with Bradley Chubb, for example. Um, but NC State, like you mentioned, like Dave Doran has done a pretty good job recruiting there. Um, now, last year was really bad. Quarterback position was a disaster. Um, it was Matthew McKay for a while, They and they were shuffling quarterbacks for a while, by the way. Then they end up settling on Devin Leary, who was a true freshman at the time, and he only completed 48% of his passes. Threw for a little over 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns, five interceptions. But he was really kind of like the best they had. And what was interesting coming into this year was, you know, Dave Dorn talked about Devin Leary coming into his true sophomore campaign. And they were like, you know what, he's going to be our starting quarterback. Um, But then this past Saturday against Wake Forest, Bailey Hawkman is the guy who ends up playing uh, for NC State. He ends up being the guy stepping in starting quarterback, uh, former Florida State quarterback who, who transferred into NC State's program. And Hawkman ended up being the guy and, you know, they ended up saying, you know, Dave Dorn ended up saying, you know, Devin Leary wasn't the most prepared quarterback going into the Wake Forest game, which was a surprise. Um, but Hawkman played well. You know, he was 16 to 23, threw for 191 yards, two touch, uh, one touchdown, one interception. So he, uh, the, the interception was returned for a pick six, but he got them, he got them moving and he was completing a high percentage of his passes, which is something that was missing a lot for NC State last year. And the one thing that stood out for me in this opener against Wake Forest was the fact that offensively, NC State finally had balance, right? Um, That was missing a lot of last year because they were struggling to throw the football, so the running game suffered, right? But in the opener, you know, you have Hawkman throwing for nearly 200 yards, and then that opens up the running game. NC State as a team had, you know, 270 yards rushing. They're averaging five and a half yards per carry, and they have a two-headed monster in Ricky Person Jr. and Zonovan Bam Knight. Um, the two of them rushed for nearly 100 yards. Each of them did. 
Um, Ricky Person had two touchdowns. Donovan Knight had one in the opener against Wake Forest. I just wonder how much of this is the NC State offense really improving, or is it just Wake Forest defense being absolutely atrocious, right? Because Wake Forest defense was real, real bad in this game, guys. And they were bad in the Clemson game, but we were all like, okay, it's Clemson. Like, everybody looks bad against Clemson. They were real bad against NC State. Now I'm starting to think that Wake Forest might have a bottom two or three defense in the conference, which might make NC State's offense look maybe a little bit better than advertised, but you got to give the Wolfpack a little bit of credit here because last year they weren't capable of getting themselves into a shootout, let alone winning a shootout. So there has been progress made offensively for NC State. I just wonder how good this unit is overall because, number one, it's a one-game sample size. Number two, it looks like they were playing one of the worst defenses in the ACC last Saturday. Yeah, and Ricky, to Mike's point, NC State coming into the year after a pretty poor season and maybe the hot seat getting a little bit hotter for Dave Dorn, he goes with the coordinator switch. He brings in Tim Beck, who had been part of a bunch of successful football teams, uh, you know, the Taylor Martinez Nebraska teams, the JT Barrett uh, Ohio State teams, Sam Ellinger Texas teams. He goes with the kind of the dual threat athletic quarterback, gets them involved in the run game. And and we saw that I watched not all of, but a significant portion of their game against Wake Forest. And it looked like a lot of Virginia Tech style read option offense. They had, I believe, one running back go for 99 yards, one running back go for 97 yards, another running back go for 50-plus yards, and the quarterback scored a touchdown as well. They even got cute with a little pop pass from the running back in the end zone, which is bold move in what was a pretty close game with Wake Forest at the time. But, Ricky, knowing what kind of they're trying to do offensively and knowing that Virginia Tech, because of the COVID issues, hasn't had the opportunity, at least in recent weeks, for full-on, full-contact tackling practices. Do you think there's potential for that rust to show here in week one, even with an experienced defensive line? Yeah. Um, NC State has some talent on offense. They're, um, they like to spread the ball around. Something I, I noticed was they – Tar- or they threw they completed passes to nine different receivers, which is a pretty high number. Um, they've got three either extremely productive or semi-productive backs. Uh, Bailey Hawkman to me is still a giant question mark. I don't really know what we're going to get out of him for the rest of the season. Um, he was pretty decent in this game, but again, as Mike mentioned, Wake Forest is – a bit of a tire fire on defense. Um, and that's really not going to subside at any point this season, most likely. So NC state is still a giant question mark. Uh, it, almost as much of a question mark as Virginia tech is just given that we haven't seen them. Um, one thing that I am interested in is to see how this NC state defense responds after giving up a ton of points to wake Uh, I know Wake's offense was very good last year, but that offense is very, very different than what it was from last year. And they were still able to, to, to get in um, uh, kind of a a knockdown drag out fight with NC state. Um, NC state's defense has some guys that tech would be familiar with Peyton Wilson at linebacker, Aline McNeil defensive tackle. Both of those guys are extremely productive. Both of them had very good games against Wake Forest. Other than that, though, um, NC State's defense is a, is a giant question mark. Another guy that they're going to be familiar with is Devon Graves, who nearly flipped to Virginia Tech in his recruitment. Um, but, again, NC State is, is still a giant question mark. So Mike talked about not betting on this game until Saturday morning. I wouldn't touch this with a 10-foot pole. I mean, I'm not really a gambling degenerate like Mr. McDaniel over here. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't even go close to this game, just given the amount of unknowns that we're seeing. And, um, again, we haven't seen Tech even play this year. I could honestly see this game going a lot of different ways. I don't think Tech is going to get run off the field, but I could certainly see Tech losing this game. I could certainly see Tech winning this game. I could see Tech putting NC State in a box and winning this game by two scores. But I really don't have an idea as to which one of those three it's going to be. I agree. 
Yeah, what scares me again is a lot of these players had COVID and a lot of them might be back and who knows, they could have been in perfect health the entire time or had a couple of days where it felt like they had a nasty cold or the flu and then sat in quarantine for another 12 because that's what you have to do. But those 12 days are are so important given how much of college football, when the talent gap isn't going to be massive, how important is chemistry? is repetition in route running, in in tackling, in getting on your blocks and knowing where to go and where to be. It's very important. So though on paper, Virginia Tech, I think that in a non-COVID world, if this game was happening week one, which it wouldn't have happened in week one, it wouldn't have happened at all. We would have said that Virginia Tech can and should run NC State off the field. But here we are, and there's a lot of question marks. I mean, do you not think that – Virginia Tech, in a non-COVID world, if they played this game, would have been a 15, 20-point favorite? No. Well, they they were – I mean, they were at 12 – they were they opened as a 12-point favorite. It's down to seven now because Justin Fuente essentially came out in his press conference and said, we don't even know if we can play on Saturday. Like, we don't – I mean, he didn't say that, but read between the lines. He was like, yeah, I mean, we're not going to have a full roster. So that line swung heavily in NC State's favor. I saw an opening line. It was Virginia Tech minus 12 and a half is the highest that I saw. This ended up being now Virginia Tech minus seven is what I saw earlier this afternoon. It swung five and a half points because nobody has any idea who's going to suit up for the hope. It's wild. Yeah, I, I think seven is, is much more realistic. Uh, I, I just got done talking about how I, I could see I, – I, there is a scenario in which Tech absolutely blows NC State out of the water – but I don't think that that's likely. And even if we go to a, like a pre-COVID world where Caleb Farley's is playing and all these guys that have opted out are playing and this game is happening in a normal situation, I still wouldn't pick Tech to, to blow out NC State. But I do think that Tech can win this game by 7 to 10 points. Yeah, and for me, it's interesting because I think – the offensive line and the newcomers are one of my main keys to victory in a game where we don't necessarily know who's going to be lined up at the behind center at the quarterback position. What I saw in Wake Forest is they were able to, using inside zone type plays, break off a number of long runs. They ultimately ended up getting like four touchdowns on the ground. So Khalil Herbert, who we haven't seen play a game in a Virginia Tech uniform, you know, might be relied on as heavily as anyone on that offense. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the the thing that's most intriguing to me, you talked about continuity a couple minutes ago there, and I think the continuity of these two rosters is so extremely important. Like, NC State basically had their really bad year last year, but they're returning so much on both sides of the football that there's a lot of continuity there, and I think that showed in the opener against Wake Forest. Virginia Tech's got a ton of continuity, too, on both sides of the football, and sure, you know, you don't have Devin Hunter, um, you know, uh, Reggie Floyd's gone. You have Caleb Farley, who um, obviously opted out. But Virginia Tech's got so much coming back on both sides of the football that in theory, like in a world where everybody's healthy enough to play in this football game, I think you're getting a matchup of two teams with, you know, some of the most composed rosters in the ACC from the standpoint of, you know, guys who have played together and guys who have been there and, and done that. And, um, it, it's, it would be a really intriguing matchup if everybody was healthy just from that stamp, having the knowledge of who's playing and who's not, who's going to be healthy enough to go and who has to sit. Like, it's really hard to, to really figure out what's going to happen in this football game. For me, though, guys, I mean, you talk about the continuity, Mike, and I, I certainly agree, but I'm kind of at this point in the hope for the best, expect the worst camp because – Why do teams in a normal college football season schedule a bunch of early season games against like Subway University so they could get into a full groove? And what have we seen with Virginia Tech in the last two seasons? We've seen them lose to Boston College and Duke and struggle against Furman and ODU. And in 2017 or 2018, lose to ODU straight up. Even looking back at last year, they had a fair amount of continuity and, you know, rapport and stuff from the previous season coming in and it still took them three four games to get into the groove of things now the quarterback change obviously plays into that now with the shortened camp the slow starts from previous years kind of have me feeling like you know a, a beaten dog in the sense of i've seen this movie before i don't want to see it again 
Dude, yeah, I'll tell you what, man. University don't, lit. Yeah, Subway University does sound lit. The one thing I will say is, like, don't lose to Duke in a few weeks. Like, Duke's <laughs> awful, guys. Duke's bad. They're bad. Don't lose Duke. So let's look at our, our, our keys to the game here first. Virginia Tech wins if. Fill in the blank, Mike, you can go first. <laughs> I don't know if they field more than, like, I don't know, 10 or 11 of the potential – like 19 returning starters, I think that would be a good start. Um, if most of those guys are backups, all bets are off, truthfully. Um, I'm going to make these keys basing off the fact that everyone is going to be available, which we know isn't the case, but we also have no way of knowing who isn't going to be available, so I'm not going to speculate on that. Tech needs to take care of the ball on offense. Um, and the defense needs to avoid giving up a ton of big plays. That Those have been really the two biggest Achilles heels for Justin Fuente's teams in the past. If they turn the ball over a ton, they usually lose. If they give up a ton of big plays, they usually lose too. Yeah, I'm going to say on the offensive side of the ball, it basically goes back to doing what you're doing. I mentioned before how Wake Forest was able to kind of expose NC State in the running game using inside runs. Use Khalil Herbert, use Raheem Blackshear, do it over and over again, tire this NC State defense out, and then use that as an opportunity to set up deeper passes to guys like Trey Turner and James Mitchell. On the defensive side of the ball, again, assuming that everyone is uh, healthy, here's a good first week challenge for Justin Hamilton. Use defensive formations and schemes that will protect the true freshman in Keonta Jenkins, because one big play here, one big play there against a guy who has literally no power five football experience. He's going in there cold. I, I think you had to protect him. And again, assuming that that will happen, he will be fine. All right, boys, let's do as we did last year. We will continue again. Let's pick all these games in the ACC this week against the spread. Now, we know that the Notre Dame game has already been postponed against Wake Forest, so we're not going to do that one. But let's start it off. Louisville and Pitt. Louisville lost to Miami last week, and their defense looked atrocious. Pitt is 2-0. and In the modern world of college football rankings, this is 21 versus 24. Pitt, a three-point favorite. What are you taking? I'm going to go with Pitt. Um Pitt's a more well-rounded team offensively and defensively. I think Louisville has more top-end talent on the offensive side of the ball, but I'm not sure it's going to matter. So I think Pittsburgh's defense is going to play well enough uh, to hold Louisville's offense down. You know, I, I think if – and I said this on the radio yesterday, Andrew, like I think if Pittsburgh's able to hold Louisville, I don't know, to anywhere between 21 and 24 points, I think Pittsburgh can score enough to win this game, especially with how bad that Louisville defense looks. So I'm taking Pittsburgh – I'm going to go with Pitt as well. Um, not extremely confident on that, but their defensive line has been one of the best in the country over the last season and some change. Um, so I'm going to go with the Panthers. Yeah, I'm going to uh, make that a clean sweep there. I mean, Pitt is at home for whatever that's worth anymore. And just what we saw from Louisville's defense last year, I, I think that Kenny Pickett can do enough as against that while Pitt's defense is going to be able to seriously slow down Louisville. So I'll go with Pitt as well. All right. Game number two, 12 o'clock on ESPN three. So you better have a computer. Georgia tech takes on Syracuse, Georgia tech, an eight point favorite on the road. I like Georgia tech. I like what I've seen out of them, especially offensively through the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, I like their quarterback Sims a lot. <laughs> I think he's a good player. Um, you know, he's made some freshman mistakes. That was clear against UCF, but the kid's really athletic. Uh, he's a good player. Georgia Tech's defense, I think, is pretty decent, and Syracuse's offense is an absolute tire fire. So, give me Georgia Tech here pretty easily. Syracuse sucks. I, I am, it, it hurts me, man. I love Dino Baber so much. I've talked about him all the time on this podcast. He's such a cool dude, but, man, the Orange are bad. B-A-D, bad. Give me Georgia Tech. They're on the come up. Jeff Collins knows what he's doing. And like you said, Jeff Sims seems like he's got a good idea as to how to get this thing going, even if he is still learning on the fly. 
we're going to agree on everything, I guess, all day because, yep, I'm in. <laughs> it's uh, Syracuse just has done absolutely nothing to impress anyone this year. Georgia Tech with the upset win against Florida State. I think they can cover by, you know, more than one score. So, you know, let's go with Georgia Tech all around there. All right, gentlemen, Duke at UVA. UVA hasn't played yet. Duke has played poorly twice. UVA a five-point favorite at home. I like UVA, close game. Really interested to see what Virginia's offense is able to do um, or not do, right? Like, we don't really know. Uh, Bryce Perkins was the entire offense last year, and they got to find a way to replace him. So I'm interested to see what that looks like in game one with Brandon Armstrong, quarterback. But UVA's defense, I think, is good enough to hold Duke down. I don't think Duke's going to score much. So give me UVA. I believe in Cutcliffe, man. I'm going to die on this hill. I have very little confidence in Brennan Armstrong that he's going to be able to get the Cavs' offense in gear. I think Cutcliffe's boys are going to be pissed because everyone's dogging them. I'm going to go with Duke in an upset. Yep, I'm agreeing. Let's go Duke. All right. Oh, well, I didn't think you were going to jump on the on the bandwagon there with me. Hey, I, I have a I have an affinity for Duke football, and they got a great pass rush. It'll be interesting to see how that <laughs> offensive line can uh, hold up for UVA. All right. On entertaining game of the week, Boston College takes on Texas State. Boston College, an 18-point favorite at home. Yeah, BC big. I like the way they looked against Duke, but I'm going to like the way a lot of teams look against Duke this year, I'm afraid. So, BC here. I don't know jack shit about Texas State, so I'm not going to sit here and act like I can give an intelligent prediction on this game. I'll go with BC, although that margin seems kind of wide. Uh, screw it. We'll go with BC. You mean Texas State to cover. How about that? That's probably the smart play. I, I feel like if like the play. I feel like if I was actually putting money on this, that if I had to bet that this game, that's what I would do. But before we do these final two picks, we got Florida State and Miami, and of course NC State and Virginia Tech, the big game of the weekend. I got to remind you guys that the Hokey Hangover Podcast is brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg provides neighborly service. They don't look at you like some number, like the corporate drones over at CVS, Walmart, and this, that, or the other do. They look at you as a friend and actually care about your health care outcomes. So if you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you, head on down to Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg. Dr. Counts and his squad will take care of everything you need. All right, boys. Florida State, they drop their opener against Georgia Tech. Miami, now ranked 12 in the country at 2-0. and They look good. The Canes, an 11-point favorite at home. I like Miami here. Florida State's not going to have Mike Norvell coach in this game. He caught COVID-19, so he's in quarantine. Um, not that that really matters. I'd pick Miami anyway with how they've looked. So give me the Hurricanes here. I think they've been pretty good through a couple games. I don't think Florida State's defense is good enough to stop the Miami rushing attack. Um, they got a really good defensive line, but the back seven's a little shaky. Um, outside of Asante Samuel Jr., of course, he's pretty freaking good. But outside of that, Florida State's defense is a little bit shaky. Um, and they didn't look particularly good uh, against Georgia Tech. Um, it was more Georgia Tech's offense doing themselves and rather than Florida State just outright making a bunch of stops in that football game. So, yeah, give me Miami here. Pretty confident what the Hurricanes are. Not so confident what Florida State is at this point at Norvell. Yeah, Miami's going to be an issue. I wrote about that after after last weekend. They're going to be a problem for probably the entire season. Derek King is 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 a serious issue. So give me the Canes. Uh, for sure. Yeah, talk about Miami going from a disaster last year. You throw in Derek King at quarterback and Quincy Roche on the defensive side of the ball, and now that's something we all have to be worried about. I got the Canes winning big in this one. All right, boys, last but not least, the moment we've all been waiting for. Virginia Tech takes on North Carolina State at home. The Hokies, with all the question marks, a seven-point favorite. Mike? What do you got? Picking the Hokies, man. They're a better team. Going to roll with them. Um, again, we'll caveat that with the fact that we have no idea who's playing and who's not. But, <laughs> hey, man, Virginia Tech's got a better roster, so I'm going to roll with the Hokies here. And I'm also not entirely sure how good NC State's offense is yet. It looked really good against Wake Forest. But, you know, Virginia Tech's defense has, you know, even seven or eight or seven or eight of the guys that we're expecting them to have. I think Virginia Tech's defense will have a little bit more success than Wake Forest had against that NC State offense. Give me the Hokies to win here and get the season off to a good start. That's what I'm hoping anyway. I am going to pick Tech to cover this game. I think an understated 
advantage for the Hokies that we haven't really talked about is that NC State has no film on this team. They have no film on a Justin Hamilton defense, uh, e- even with the similarities uh, similarities to Bud Foster. Uh, if Braxton Burmeister plays a significant amount in this game, NC State has no film on him at all. Uh, they have no, no film on Khalil Herbert in this offense. They have no film on Raheem Blackshear in this offense. That's going to be an issue for the Wolfpack. I know there's some some f- uh, familiarity with Brian Mitchell and Charlie Wiles on the other sideline, but I think uh, Virginia Tech is going to be able to cover this game, although it would not shock me if it's sitting right around that six, seven, eight-point margin. It, it's going to be right around a one-score game. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to go with NC State to cover. I think Virginia Tech wins close. Just all the things I mentioned before, the lack of practice, the lack of continuity, the question marks around who's actually going to play are, are all weighing on me. And I said it before, guys, hope for the best, expect the worst is kind of where I'm at right now, given the way that COVID has impacted you know this team and this college football season at large. I think Virginia Tech's definitely the better team. And I think if it is close, that doesn't necessarily reflect the talent and potential that this team has. But with so many question marks in the air, I, I do think it could be a one-score game. So I'm going to pick NC State, but the Hokies will win. At least, I hope. And that's going to wrap it up for us, folks. You have been listening, and thank you for listening to the Hokie Hangover podcast. If you enjoy what you are listening to, please hit subscribe and leave a review. You can follow us on Twitter at Hokie Hangover. You can follow Mike at Mike McDaniel VT. You can follow Ricky LeBlue at, and this is a confusing one, folks, Ricky LeBlue. You can follow me at Andrew Alex Radio. That's Andrew, A-L-I-X Radio. Again, just if you like what you're listening to and you're a Virginia Tech person, tell your friends. We appreciate all the support. We're going to be doing this all season long. We're super excited for this weekend. And hopefully, if there's been any doubt casted throughout this episode, we can turn that around, record next week, and say, what were we thinking? This team looks great. Until then, go Hokies, and we'll see you next time.